Hello and welcome to the TT Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk to one person from the world of the TT racers to discuss their lives, their journeys, their ambitions and their relationship with the greatest motorsporting event in the world. Alongside me, Chris Pritchard, is Steve Plater. Steve, the guest we've got on now, it's the last person a racer wants to see ideally, right? Yeah, I've experienced all of that. Air amicopters and flipping paramedics and various things. And yeah, you don't really want to see them. But however, if you have to, you want the best. And let's be honest, he's not in the room yet, but he is one of the best. Pretty damn good. Shall we get into it? Let's, let's have a chat. Dr. Gareth Davies is the former medical director of the London Air Ambulance Service. He has dedicated his life to saving the lives of others. Dr. Davies is also one of three chief medical officers during TT Fortnite. His work is critical in every single sense. His pioneering work with helicopters and medicine has saved the lives of countless racers and thousands of people. And it's an absolute honour to have you on the TT podcast. Sir, welcome. That's very kind of you. Really pleased to be here. Thank you. For How are you? You all right? Yeah, very good. Very good. Good. Enjoying right. the racing. We normally start the TT podcast yeah. asking mainly riders what it feels like to get the tap on the shoulder. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I don't know where to start with this one, other than when we uh, got the notes uh, of you coming through, the one thing that, that Ed at the TT office kept banging on about all the time, and it does sound pretty amazing, and you can explain the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, all he said was he and, he, and he says it with a lot of vigor, he performed open heart surgery in London on the streets. So, <laughs> so I think that's yeah. where we should start before we get into your career and everything that you do at the TT. <laughs> tell, tell us that story. How, how did we end up there? Um, yes, it uh, uh, might sound quite extraordinary, but yes, actually, uh, one of the interventions that uh, we developed at uh, London's Air Ambulance was indeed um, uh, the procedure called thoracotomy, which is opening the chest and performing open heart surgery um, on patients who are, you know, pretty severely injured, and we need to control bleeding or stitch the heart or something of that nature. But actually, it, it, in many ways, it, it bizarrely has its roots at the TT. The, the the thinking behind it, okay. Because you know, his, historically, meds all medicine used to do was take a, a a badly injured patient, throw them in the back of an ambulance, and try and get them to the hospital where the surgeons would be waiting for them and the anaesthetist to perform that sort of surgery. Mm -hmm. But obviously, there's a, a group of patients who, uh, in the dying process, which will happen before they get to hospital, and actually. Uh, a lot of that thinking f for us at London um, was inspired by the TT, just watching the TT, just as a child looking at riders that were fallen, just watching yeah. those dying processes happening, thinking, well, actually, that chap needs help now. And he, he doesn't need just picking up in a helicopter and flying somewhere. We need to start the process here now. At the roadside. So, so, what happened to the person in London? Was so uh, was that sadly that um, that procedure was developed for people who had had what we call penetrating injury to the chest, or people right. who'd been stabbed or shot, uh, or something of that nature, perhaps impaled on something. Um, and those patients were bleeding to death very quickly in a matter of minutes. And uh, the only real way to either stop it or just, uh, uh, stitch the wound in the heart was to uh, to do it early and do it in the street. So um, I had an amazing team around me at London and uh, we developed that 
uh, procedure. And, and like everything in medicine, you know, it didn't work the first couple of times, mm -hmm. many times that we did it, that it didn't work. But then we managed to super select exactly the right patients. And then, uh, then one Christmas Eve, um, we had our first survivor. And uh, after Christmas that, Eve? Yeah. And a uh, chap that was stabbed in a kebab shop in North London uh, in a fight over a kebab, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> and uh, since then, uh, you know, the procedure is, is, it was a global first, which is, you know, really special yeah. to get something that's the first ever in the world. Um, it's, it's now, you know, commonly practiced all over the world and other countries have shaped our technique. And uh, it, it's, uh, you know, sadly now, it, we, uh, the team in London are doing it perhaps once every two days. There's that much scary, violence yeah. and crime. So, uh, so uh, you you were yeah. born and bred a Manxman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very much uh, a TT fan. Yeah, yeah, big time. Night. Big, big time. So, big how time. do you go from that to? Uh, I read a little bit about your history. You know, to obviously into training in the medical side of things, and then all of a sudden, boom, going to. How do you become? <laughs> have the, have the tools within yourself to to perform open. Mm. Well, I, I mean, I think, you know, uh, that side of things is, is what we do in hospital anyway. It, it's just that you need to hone the techniques to do it in the pre-hospital pre and you need different instruments and you need a different approach and you have to train people in a different, uh, different way. Um, but I, I, I was very lucky that when, you know, as you say, I was, I was born on the island, absolutely adored the TT, was, was absolutely uh, obsessed with it as, uh, as a child, loved, uh, loved watching it, um, and um, was desperate to put something back into it. And, and actually, when, when I did qualify as a doctor, um, I was lucky enough uh, to start helping out at the TT and, and actually a, a, a predecessor of mine called David Stevens who, who developed the medical services for the TT uh, and uh, uh, was awarded an MBE for it many years ago. Um, he gave me my first break. He put me on the helicopter here at the TT and I think it was 19... 89 or something like that um and back then the helicopter was a bit like uh, a scene from vietnam war all we mm -hmm. did was fly pick up the patient throw them in the helicopter and get them back yeah. to the hospital as quickly as possible flying taxi literally yeah, yeah. so you know the equipment we had were really you know a pair of aviators some some gloves <laughs> for handling a stretcher and uh, uh and a, a tabard and um it it didn't feel right to me that we were um, that we were we were doing that, and it actually gave me my lucky break in so much that I applied for the the post in London where the helicopter had just started, and they couldn't get anyone to staff it, believe it or not, because it, it was a completely new com concept. It was medicine rejected it, didn't want it. Lots of hospitals got tried to get it to close down, and. Uh, um, I was one of the few people, young doctors, um, that could actually have on their CV, they'd done some helicopter work because yeah, no other, unless you were a military doctor in the UK, no civilian doctor would have had that on their CV. So that gave me my break into medicine and, and um, I, I went to London to, to work on the helicopter for six months and then stayed there for my career. So <laughs> Got yeah. stuck. <laughs> Why would people... Um, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, be against the helicopter. Oh, or, or, you know, I think like any that? any innovation, uh, it can be met with abreaction. You know, systems don't tend to like change too much, and yeah. medicine's no different to any other uh, specialty or, or industry. So it did go through a troublesome period of people trying to close the helicopter down. They, you know, they thought doing this surgery in the streets was you know, the work of a maniac. Right. Uh, wind on 30 years and now it's a standard of training and where you know many people listening to this podcast where they live they will have a helicopter air ambulance that supports that area in the uk and they will all be trained in this procedure so it's amazing how life yeah but you, you take a few hits so just rewinding slightly again why medicine to begin with um, growing up on the isle of man and uh, you said you watched it but why yeah. medicine to begin with uh, I don't know. I think that's just something you you, you were born with because my, my, my dad was a, a vet uh, and I, I had no affinity uh, for that. Uh, it was quite handy because he used to take me to the racing. So I, it would uh, it, we'd set off uh, if it was a practice evening. He, he would uh, dump me at the bottom of Bray Hill, go and do his clinics and then pick me up. And then we'd go to Quarterbridge and watch the racing. And then if it was race day, same thing would happen. Uh, he would drop me at Ballacrane. I'd be about like eight or maybe even less, six or seven. He'd drop me at Ballacrane with some Ringos and Curly Whirly and they'd push me, <laughs> push, <laughs> push me to the front of the queue where all these bikers would be very kind to me and I'd sit uh, at the front. He'd go and dehorn some cows and then come and pick me back up. And um, so actually the, it worked really well for getting me into, uh, into the TT. Um, but no, I always felt I wanted to, to, to be a doctor and uh, I was always fascinated by, you know, the, the human spirit and the human physiology and anatomy. So, um, uh, I, I was really, I felt really privileged, to be honest, to to experience that at the TT and looking at people who were injured and, you know, just play in my mind, even as a kid, you know, what was the right thing to do and try and, you know, create a system that would tend for those patients. Um, and, and, and eventually it rolled out. <laughs> I, I read, I think last night that, um, you know, as early as I think the 60s, 60s, 70s, yeah. there's a helicopter for the teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where, yeah, where I'm, I, I, I'm like seriously proud of that. Seriously yeah. proud yeah, yeah. because there was true vision and inspiration there without a shadow of a doubt. Um, you know, helicopters had been used to, to tend for patients in the Vietnam uh, War was probably the, the most obvious example. People mm. recognize, uh, recognize that. Um, and um, uh, you know the uh, the television program uh, Mash, Mash, the beginning of Mash. So people recognise that, but they they didn't have doctors on them. And actually, the first record that I can find of anywhere in the world using civilian helicopters with a doctor on board is, believe it or not, a TT. Well oh. before places like America started it in the seventies and Germany. Um, it was a slightly weird combination because in that helicopter, which was a piston-driven helicopter, which you'd think twice about getting into nowadays, <laughs> uh, you would, you know, there was a copper, uh, a doctor. It was so fragile you had to carry an engineer in the aircraft yeah. as well. <laughs> so, wow. And of course, there was a pilot. Um, so uh, um, it, it was uh, uh, visionary to say the least. And 
it, obviously it was only happening at the TT, but uh, I've lectured all around the world pointing that out to uh, um, uh, my That's peers amazing, <laughs> uh, in so, America. As, as a youngster, when when you're when your father used to drop you off and, and let you watch the race, there was no you're a motorcyclist. Hmm. Um, there was no inspiration or outlook to be one of those guys putting a crash helmet on and going down Bray Hill. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, there was without uh, uh, a doubt. I was. I, I was desperate to, uh, and there's a sad end to this story. But <laughs> I was desperate to race and, and get a uh, get a bike. You know, so the, the people that I were watching at the time, you know, the Charlie Williams, Charlie Mortimer, you know. Pat Henry, all that era. Was he any good, Charlie Williams? Because he, he talks the talk. Oh, he talks it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, what, 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 one time there was like seven all in my. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> and he won't remember this story, but the, uh, one time uh, Dad had dropped me at um, Quarterbridge, and 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 Charlie for some reason lost it at Quarterbridge and had come off and. Uh, uh, I was watching with my dad, and one of the marshals came over to my dad because he was the local vet and said, "Could you could you take him back to the start?" So we we took Charlie in the car, and he, he had some grazes on his knuckles, and Dad put some sort of cow bandage across his hand, and we <laughs> to stop it dripping on the floor of his Ford Mexico, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and we drove him back to the pits, and I was like complete. I didn't speak for about two weeks after that. I was absolutely dumbstruck because A, to get close to a TT rider, which is something I wanted to do, and B, have him in our car. And then, it, then believe it or not, appeared on the front page of the Examiner in a little column. Well, I mean, that was just unbelievable, wow. uh, unbelievable. So, no, I, I, I was very keen. And actually, this you might consider this- I'd be this, more excited about being in the poor Mexico. <laughs> I was, <laughs> was, I was quite proud of that. Was mark it a on, one? Mark on yellow, oh, black stripe. <laughs> So dad was a bit of a petrol head uh, in some ways, but he was never into bikes. But uh, but no, uh, I, I was desperate to it. And I loved the sidecars. I thought it was the most heroic. People like Siegfried Schautzu and Wolfgang Kalluch and Rolf Steinhausen and people like that, I thought were just beyond words, beyond words, their, their bravery. And, mm -hmm. and and every time I said I wanted to be a sidecar passenger when I was a young kid, you know, mum would get really upset and the family would get they, they really wanted to try and steer me away from bikes and that's where this story turns bad because I ended up getting a horse Oh, yeah, a horse. I, know, I know, I know. Yeah, so, so we ended. End. Yeah, no, it did have a sad end. Yeah. Yeah, I got a thirteen-two pony. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what I wanted was yeah, a, a YZ. I got the YZ. Far more dangerous. <laughs> well, two this is the irony. This is the irony. You know, if you go to a spinal injuries unit, half of them are motorcyclists and half of them are equestrian uh, oh. riders. So, yeah, it was a bad start. It was full of jobbers, leather boots, whips. You know, not yeah. a part of my career. I'm proud of. <laughs> <laughs> Probably shouldn't be talking about it on bloody podcast yeah, either, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being honest. Found out now. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah probably too far, too far gone. But um, but no, uh, so I I then ended up with a TY 175 and a YZ 175. But actually, you know, one of the sad things is, is that if you yeah if you want to do something like medicine and academia, it doesn't leave a lot of space for no, you know you can't do two two things. So. 
Um, so you never raced? I never, uh, never raced, um, which, which was uh, a great shame. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously uh, you get married, you have kids and, you know, that sort of sacrificed any aspirations of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of trying to do any form of, uh, I bet form of a, racing. I bet there's quite a few racers, though, that are glad that you never started racing. Well, yeah, so I, bet, maybe. I bet they're still here because of that, that, that fight. <laughs> There's a few so, around, yeah. yeah. A few so, around. so all your qualifying was done on the island, or did you travel to the mainland and study so, there? And- no, uh, when you grew up on the island, uh, you stay here till sixth form until you're 18, and then obviously you have to go away to medical school. So right. I left, uh, left the island at age, t- age 18 to go to medical school in Sheffield. And, uh, Probably the best city in the world to learn. It was uh, absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Loved it. Such soft, great memories of, of, of Yorkshire. And, Everybody you know, knows. the biking... Out there was just superb. So the one thing I could do was join the, you know, the, the bike club at uh, university, mm-hmm. and uh, did at one point do a spot of rallying in my sister's mini. Uh, nice. Which, really? Yeah. What official rallying or just yeah. you just went off road and did uh, it? Well, it was called night rallies at the time, which were sort of driving, navigating, yeah, uh, driving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was uh, that wasn't too sensible actually because uh, <laughs> we didn't tell really tell our parents. Or, <laughs> And the navigator didn't tell his parents, and then we stuffed it about two weeks before finals into a hedge somewhere in Derbyshire. And uh, um, yeah, then we we weren't hospitalised or anything, but it didn't go down well with the parents. Okay. <laughs> two weeks before finals, having at committed. least you could stitch yourself up and, and, and hide it pretty <laughs> exactly. well. Though, no medical record of this one. So that, we'll that, that was out. the end to an illustrious rallying career. So. Um, <laughs> I know my place now in life is to um, just to try and mend people. So did you stay in Sheffield and, and work there afterwards? So, uh, no, I then moved to Rotherham and uh, spent my first year as a houseman in, in Rotherham. And then, um, which I have very fond memories, apart from having me have said stolen from outside uh, the hospital. In Rotherham? Was, I know. The thought which was very new because, uh, you know, in the Isle of Man, I'm sure many of you are aware that uh, Touchwood... Uh, you know the crime rate is good people don't tend to lock their vehicles and what have you so actually when to have a vehicle stolen was something that really hurt the psyche Mm -hmm. and uh so yeah i had a fz 750 stolen from um, rotherham district general hospital and i replaced that with another fz 750 and then that was stolen outside uh, middlesbrough hospital on both occasions, very stressful events because I'd put a Vance and Hind pipe on both of them and I could hear this oik riding round the bloody hospital. <laughs> and I'm on the phone to these coppers going, I can hear him now. He's, he's on such and such a street. Yeah, to no avail. Yeah, yeah, to no avail. So there's a good, you know, there's a good side and a bad side to a Vance and Hind's pipe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of a road rider were you then as a youngster? Um, I was um, a sort of Simpson bandit helmet wearing okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a rebel right, um, individual. Um, a at that hooligan, someone might uh, yeah, say. I don't know if I'd label myself as a hooligan, but no, we... Um, my mum made me do the advanced motorcycle test when I was 16. Because on the Isle of Man, you yes, can buy, you know, on the Isle of Man, you could buy, you could qualify on a bike and ride a bike from the age of 16 unlimited. Mm-hmm. So my first motorcycle was a GSX 250. 
Um, and uh, the only way I was allowed to do that was if I did the Star Rider silver and gold that year. So I did sure that. I did Star Rider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was very good. And, you know, I'd encourage any any motorcyclist, budding motorcyclist, is to do those advanced tests, you know, early. And they're not what you think. They're not about, you know, um, poodling along, putting your arm out and stuff. You know, far it's about maximum progress. And from like, you know, I've done various, uh, various uh, when they're sponsored British superbikes yeah. as well. And uh, and actually, it's, it's the police that take you out half time and but, Well, I, I had a GSX two fifty, and I thought I was quick uh, on the island here. And there were three of us out on this ride, and the guy that led the Star Rider course was a police traffic cop on a bike that no one had ever heard of, which was like this two-cylinder 450 Kawasaki, which only he seemed to have. No one else in the world had this bike. But I remember going through the roads of Jerby, thought I was giving it loads, and he came past me on the outside of a bend, ushering me on with his left hand to go faster. You know, and it, so it sort of uh, made the point to me that actually yeah. it... It is about you know riding safely, but riding quickly and yeah. within within your limits. And uh, so that was a good backdrop to to riding. Um, and then I you know did a lot of trips down to the Baldor and things like that. Which really were fantastic. Oh, nice. Loved, uh, You're a proper proper motorcycle fan then. Yeah yeah yeah. No, I really. What sort of years? This would be like from. <laughs> You're gonna test him. <laughs> I don't know. Probably eighty. No, no. So uh, I was at university when we were going down to the Baldor. So it would be like l l mid to late 80s, that okay. sort of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, know, you know, when it was uh, sponsored by Rickard and yeah, stuff yeah, like right. that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we, we, we also went out to, uh, 10, went 12, to Donington. I had 10, 12 years of world endurance. And yeah. uh, I, um, I rode for Factory Kawasaki team in 99, but it was just right. incredible. Oh, I loved it. And we, we went to the transatlantic races in um, at Donington every mm -hmm. year. That was a, a So who, a who were your event. heroes then? Who were you looking up to? Oh, at that time, oh gosh, you know, it was people like, uh, that era was Rob McKelney and, and people like yeah. that on the Skull Bandit, uh, RG500s mm -hmm. and people like that. And, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, you know, who else? It, it was... Uh, you know, Kevin Schwantz was just beginning to appear on the scene at that point. Uh, Freddie Merkel, I don't know if you remember Freddie him. Merkel, yeah. Merkel, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was on the sit up and beg uh, Honda. So uh, yeah, no, we went and uh, I mean, it was a hellhole to be honest. All the you know people talk about Glastonbury being full of mud and shit. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Donington had gone that. Do you do five days at Donington? It was, it was the Transatlantic series, I think it was called, the Easter That's Transatlantic right. series. That's right, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so we, ca we used to camp there and it was a group of um, medi medical students, basically. Lovely. That's amazing. <laughs> so in terms of like, normally, again, when we're talking to riders, there's a, there's a certain progression, they start one, two, fives, or they start, you know, road riding, then progress to the TT. When it comes to medicine, do you have a is it, is it like you have a special a specialty a specialty that you that you work towards and was that always with the TT in mind that you wanted to go back and help yeah, yeah. on the island? Well, I I knew actually when I started med school I wanted to do pre-hospital care, which actually wasn't even a specialty. Emergency medicine was just or what you call casualty or yeah. A and E. Yeah. You know, these are the old names for it. it's now called emergency medicine. I wanted to to train in in that. 
And there was uh, not a particularly highly structured process for that, you know, surgery, ophthalmology, orthopedics, all these old specialties had very clear paths. Mm -hmm. Emergency medicine, people didn't really know what it was and how you should train for it. And pre-hospital medicine was like just the twinkle in the eye of <laughs> emergency medicine, <laughs> yeah. if you know what I mean. So non-existent. I, I went up to Middlesbrough and did three years and I, I studied um, uh, neurosurgery, brain surgery and uh, intensive care, pediatrics, neonatal intensive care, because emergency medicine is very broad. You can you can get handed anything from yeah. a, an, uh, you know, a little, um, 900 gram baby that's a premature delivery in the car park right up to someone who's you know been shot in the head um, and you need to be able to deal with all of it mm -hmm. yeah, so it's me you know <laughs> away from racing as well how people like yourselves can turn up on scene and so quickly can and can I wouldn't say I probably I'll be wrong saying I identify perfectly but I have a, a really good idea of what the problem is yeah, I, I, the injuries uh, went to the normal uh, person. Yeah, you, you would have no clue. I mean, I think that's a really good uh, observation because you know one of the key things around the, the delivery of pre-hospital care is around that overall, you know, situational awareness, uh, understanding very quickly, very rapidly what the key issues are on scene and, and trying to turn the chaos into to something that's ordered when everyone else is is sort of panicking and and. You know, I think one of the core skills of the, the team we have here at the, the TT and, and in many of the helicopters around the country is people who can create what we call flash teams very quickly, organized flash teams where we can bring people together to, to help save someone's life who may never have known each other. You know, so in London, that might be a copper. It might be a member of the public, it might be a fireman, uh, it'll be an ambulance crew you've never met before, but somehow you have to gel into a team that is really efficient and organized and composed to stop someone dying. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think that's, you know, for our specialty, that's an, ama uh, an amazing skill for, for people to to have and it's probably still in medical terms not recognized as much as you know someone who does a hip replacement or yeah, yeah. or something of that nature but um the ability to bring people together and you know do all the right things for the patient in the right sequence and you know maintain bandwidth you know not just for dealing with the patient that's in front of you but it might be the car driver that knocked the cyclist off you know, you have to care for him uh, uh, or her as well, um, yeah. so that you're, and and the same is you know tr true here uh, at incidents uh, on the island. You've you've got to have that overall situational awareness of a, an incident, not just you know get eyes down and focus on on the one patient because that's where you don't get, don't get blinkers on. Either. You get blinkers on, and you, you you might even put your own life at risk if you you get too down and focused mm -hmm. if you know what i mean because there's a degree of jeopardy in pre-hospital medicine like you know providing care for riders is at the tt you learn or is it part of the training no we try and train for it now it wasn't you know i think our generation had to learn it uh, the hard way but it's something now that we try and train into people and, and we one of our focuses is making sure people maintain as much bandwidth as as possible by simplifying things um 
and to, you know, and uh, I'm not sure if you heard the phrase human factors, but it's how humans interact with each other and their equipment and processes and policies, making sure that they are as simple as possible to so that they can allocate their bandwidth to other things if that makes sense yes. so we we spoke about thoracotomy at the beginning of this you know when i started um uh, performing those type of procedures the the kit that you'd have in hospital had a hundred pieces in it you know so mm -hmm. if a cardiothoracic surgeon opens your chest he's got a lot of tools in yeah. there to deal with a lot it of resources in. so actually what we found is that when you open that as a non-surgeon all it does is put your blood pressure up thinking christ where's the one i want mm -hmm. so we took a, a you know a knife to all of that and actually distilled it down into three pieces of kit so you're not worrying about everything else that was in that tray so you know and that's changed um you know that was a dramatic change um getting rid of all of those pieces of equipment that were nice to have but not necessary and distill it down to a few pieces of equipment that people were very familiar with using so um you know that's the sort of art of, of pre-hospital medicine and emergency medicine is to, to to thin things down and make sure you can focus uh, and then you can focus on stitching the heart not worrying about yeah all this all this other stuff absolutely fascinating uh, another one of these podcasts where I could just sit here and, and talk for hours. But we'll end part one here. Join us for part two next week when we start to delve into the uh, the world of the TT a little more and, and see what the future holds for the safety of TT with Dr. Gareth Davies. Thank you. Thank you.